up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg, and I am joined by my co-editors, Kyle Cajero and Chris Schutte. We are with you now for the first time in several months, um, which, you know what? It's better than we did last year when we just took the entire summer off. We're now about halfway through the college basketball offseason. We have quite a bit to catch you up on um, and to discuss. So let's just dive right into it here. Uh, Kyle, Chris, I know we've got a lot uh, a lot that we've been discussing amongst ourselves uh, over the past few weeks, or really since the season ended, you know, in, in our group chat, and we, we've put some good stuff up on the site. But I think the uh, the story that we'll start with now is kind of the freshest one in the mid-major basketball world, and that is the unusual situation that seems to be unfolding at Penn right now. Uh, Chris, you and I were at Penn for a couple of games earlier this year. I think we both had great experience. Uh, it's a little disappointing mm-hmm. to hear the news out of there. Um over the last couple of days to catch you up. If you haven't heard the, there is an accusation that former head coach Jerome Allen accepted about $74,000 worth of bribes during his time as a head coach there um, in an effort to bring a young man named uh, Morris S forms. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly onto campus. Now Morris did end up going to Penn, but never actually played for the Quakers. Um, The accusation is that coach Allen accepted several wire transfers, uh, one for 15,000, one for 20,000, one for 18,000, as well as a private flight, um, nice hotel in Miami and limousine service down there again all in an effort to bring this student athlete onto campus um coach allen right now is an assistant coach with the boston celtics the celtics have not released a statement at least as of uh this recording Um, allen has not released a statement himself though University of Pennsylvania has. They said today that they are going to conduct an internal investigation um, on these accusations and won't comment any further. They've retained outside legal counsel. As of right now, the NCAA is not involved, uh, but that could certainly change depending on what happens over the next couple of weeks or so. So just wanted to get your guys' take really quick on what is, I guess, another black eye in college basketball, and this time it hits a low major school, which is not something um, that we had seen so far, really, since the FBI scandal broke uh, back at the end of last offseason. 
I think the my big takeaway from this um, was that it was an as far as we know, it was one individual person um, that was you know providing cash to this coach, um, as opposed to what we saw with the big FBI scandal last fall, where you've got these monster shoe companies, um, you know, making payments on the AAU circuit and focus around these these programs that have these huge deals with you know the different shoe companies, um, and I think that's probably what would be more similar um, or the most common at this level, you're not going to, you know, find a, a shoe company that's going to be pouring a bunch of money into a, a pen basketball program like this. But if you find, you know, one guy that's got a lot of money and he's got a kid that he really wants to go to this school, I think that's the type of thing that would be more likely to happen. And, you know, with this being the first instance we've heard from, you know, a school at Penn's level, I'll be interested to see if there's anything else, um, you know, that kind of comes out of this. Um, I guess for me, the most, I guess, kind of the strangest part about it is that Morris S. Formis never even played on the team. Um, I think that Russ, you mentioned that in the story that he, like, I don't know, he he was going to be a walk-on, I believe. So I don't know. I mean, that's just a little, a little interesting to me, but it's yet another reminder that there is so much that goes on in this sport that we don't know about, that the public doesn't know about. Um, and not to sound like very defeatist or anything, but, you know, the corruption happens on all levels. And it's so easy for us as a mid-major blog to just kind of point our fingers at some of the bigger schools who have the money and have the resources and, you know, want to get the talent in order to win or at least make the tournament and get knocked out in the first round or whatever. Um, but this is this is something that is widespread, and hopefully, um, I don't know. For Penn's sake, I hope they get this resolved soon, just because this is definitely not a good look for a program that was supposed to be trending upward this this next year. Um, yeah, I I think you brought up a number of good points there. Uh, first off, the player uh, Morris S. Forms. Uh, if anyone's listening, correct me if I'm wrong because I want to make sure I have my timeline right here. But he did end up on campus, and he is still a student there. I believe he did not play because Allen got fired um, as a head coach before his eligibility would have began. Um, So that's why he just never ended up making it onto the team. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Kyle, as you said, it, it shows that this is something that happens at all levels. It's something that I... I think we could say we kind of knew stuff like this went on at the lower levels of college basketball or at all levels, we should say. Um, but it is a little bit different to actually see it. Um, and if you look at a program like Penn that's in the Ivy League, does not give out athletic scholarships, um, is in a conference that really puts academics ahead of athletics in most ways, you know, they play on Fridays and Saturdays. So they don't interfere with classes, no athletic scholarships, as I just said. Uh, until recently, they did not have a postseason tournament. All of those things. If, if it's happening at Penn, even if it is just this one player, uh, then you can bet it's help happening elsewhere at the mid and low major level. Um, and, and the last thing that, that you touched on that I think is also very important is that the scope of this investigation right now only involves this one player and his father who allegedly 
supplied these benefits to the coach. Um, and, and that's very big because at least as of now, this only involves somebody who never played a game for Penn. So unless the scope of this widens, which of course it could, if the NCAA gets involved as of now, it does not look like any um, past wins are in jeopardy. Uh, the one postseason appearance they had under Allen uh, CBI doesn't look like that that is going to be vacated or anything like that. Um, you can't hit an Ivy League school as a scholarship reduction, so nothing's going to happen there. It looks like Penn can get out of this relatively unscathed unless it comes out that this was happening at a much wider level than even these allegations. Uh, would have us believe. So I think that's good for Penn, but at the very least, it's going to kind of cast a shadow over their season. And because, again, they're supposed to be very good over the Ivy League season as a whole, which which is really disappointing because I think even though the Ivy League isn't a great conference, it's always one that's very interesting to us, and I'm sure it will be again this year. So what's probably the worst that can happen to Penn. The NCAA does in fact get involved and find that, you know, this happened in multiple with multiple people and they, you know, dock them some wins. Cause to me, it seems like this is probably something that Penn's just going to try to like handle externally between, you know, them and, and Allen, especially given that he's not even, you know, coaching in college basketball anymore. Right. Right. That that's the that's the thing. Nobody involved in this is still with the program, which I'm sure you um I'm sure you could bet Penn will make abundantly clear over and over again during the course of this process. Um right. so unless there's something that we don't know about that is uncovered by a potential NCAA investigation, then then I think you're right. The the worst case scenario is that they find out that this it was going on at a more pervasive level than we realized. And maybe they're docked some wins from seasons that didn't really matter anyway. Um, I, I really don't know. I mean, maybe they're placed on probation, but I don't know what that actually looks like for an Ivy league school with, you know, not a very big recruiting budget to begin with um, with yeah. a very small recruiting talent pool to pull from, because you have to be able to get into an Ivy league school to be able to play there. Um, I, I, I don't know what it would look like. And ultimately I'm not sure how much is actually, um, going to come with, to come from this. Um, and I, I guess I would just kind of sum it up by saying Steve Donahue, the head coach now, you know, he needs to make sure that he's running a clean program and there's no reason to think that he isn't, but now he is going to be under the microscope fair or not, um, right. just because of the program that he's at now. So, you know, it, I, he should be a little more careful, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. I just, you know how people get in the off season, they see, Oh, ex college basketball coach, FBI investigation, they start to freak out. And I think once you really kind of get into the details of the story, it's, it's not a non-story, but it's not really something that should really have a major effect on, on the current program as far as things go other than maybe you know some some pr pr work that has to be done i i think the the importance of this story is more on a grander level 
um, from like looking at college basketball uh, in the Ivy League as a whole uh, rather than this one program, just because it shows that this does go on everywhere. And I think that's the takeaway from it. To, to move to a lighter, uh, more basketball centric discussion, uh, which I think a lot of people would be thankful for. Um, something that we've been discussing internally is the Atlantic 10 next year, because I'm not sure how great of a conference it's going to be, but there's going to be a definite shift in power with Rhode Island headed towards a rebuild and St. Bonaventure headed towards a rebuild. And it looks like there are some teams ready to maybe take the mantle as either NCAA tournament caliber teams or just teams that will be worth keeping an eye on throughout the year. Uh, Chris, I know you and I have kind of had the debate over who the best team is. I know, you know, you, you like St. Louis, right? Oh yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm all in on. You're all in on St. Louis. I'm all in on Davidson and our friend, John Rothstein really loves St. Joseph's. So, I, and I think those are all going to be three really good teams. So what what is it about St. Louis that, that you really like? It's, it's the talent. It, it's always been the talent there um, with Travis Ford. It's, it's just a matter of being able to, you know, put it together on the court. Um, we got a really good uh, group of guards and guys like uh, Jordan Goodwin, um, Tremaine Isabel's a, a transfer that's going to be a really good scorer for them. Um, Javon Bess is kind of a tough, you know, wing guy. And then Hassan French was is nice forward as well. Um, they bring in a, a freshman who's pretty highly touted. I believe he's a, I don't know his exact ranking. Uh, I think he's a top 100 maybe. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Cartier Gordon. Um, you know, six, eight. Uh, I, yeah. Sound anyway, whatever, however you pronounce it. Um, he's, he's a pretty highly touted recruit and I, they showed flashes last year of being able to put it together. Um, you know, they had a couple of, uh, stretches where they were able to put together a couple wins in Atlantic 10 play, but they were never really able to you know, string it together. They finished 17 to 16 on the year, 99 in Atlantic 10 play. Um, I just think that they're probably the most talented team in the conference. Um, I don't think they're the best coached, but <laughs> I don't think that's a stretch by any imagination. Um, but I, I think that uh, with all that talent, I think that if Travis Ford can kind of keep them together and, they start to play well. I think that they have the highest uh, highest ceiling of any Atlantic 10 team. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure I disagree with anything you said. Like I, I really do think St. Louis is trending up and they probably do have the most talent. Um, I've loved Hassan French since I watched him on the EYBL circuit a few years ago. I think he's a player that by the time he is ready to graduate, we're going to be wondering how he ended up at St. Louis. Uh, and that's no disrespect to them, but I right. think he is a really high-level player. Um, reason I like Davidson, even though they're losing Peyton Aldridge, uh, arguably the best player in the conference, 
if you look at what they bring back, um, it just it makes me really excited for them. Uh, John Axel Goodmanson, someone who has become a favorite um, of our blog, friend of the friend site, of the site. Um, and with reason. Uh, Kellen Grady was uh, one of the best freshmen in the conference, maybe the best. Possible lottery pick. Yeah, too. I, yeah, I, th- I think you could you could go that far. Um, and, and someone who I really liked who maybe didn't get, I don't want to say he didn't get the minutes, but maybe he didn't get the recognition that he deserved is uh, Kishan Pritchett as a sophomore last year, shot uh, 44% mm-hmm. from three. Uh, he's an efficient player offensively um, at the guard for Davidson. I really like him. Uh, other than Aldridge, they don't really lose anybody. Um, I mean, I guess they lose uh, Oscar Michelson, who played about 16 minutes a game, but they do return most of their other pieces behind Aldridge. Uh, Grady averaged 18 a game last year. Goodmanson averaged 13, 6, and 5. Um, I really like what they're bringing back. And, you know, I I hate to uh, point to coaching as a reason why I um, – I like a team in the preseason, but Bob McKillop is an extraordinary coach. Uh, He's been doing it for a long time and he knows how to get the most out of his players. Uh, So that's why I'm going with Davidson. But I mean, I I really like St. Louis as well. McKillop's, you have, I I can't say that didn't factor Uh, in. I think we've made it very clear online that we can be easily persuaded. Seriously. We are sent Seriously. sent items. Send us will... free stuff, and we will definitely um, look at your team a little more favorably. Um, so, so how do you feel about St. Joe's? Because I feel like they're a team that has had the potential um, to be good the last couple of years. They've had some guys that have been talented, but I feel like um, they've just been getting drilled by injuries. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. They've really been um, snake bit. And I think that's why maybe we do overlook them a little bit. Um, they weren't, yeah. as I try to pull up their schedule, now they weren't terrible last year and they actually ended the season pretty strong. Um, they won seven yeah. out of their last nine games, including that blowout win at Rhode Island that I think just shocked everybody. Um, Also knocked off a a Richmond team that got better as the year went on. Same thing with LaSalle. Um, They do lose a little bit. um, Although I'm not sure. Does Shavar Newkirk still have eligibility? I know he was a senior, but he had been hurt. I don't, I don't think so. I think last year was his last one. And he, and he was one of the, the guys that, like you said, had a bunch of, He's had some injury yeah, troubles. You're, you're right. But looking at their 2018-19 roster, uh, they return really talented. Uh, again, another red shirt uh, forward in Charlie Brown Jr., uh, who has a name you're not going to forget. Uh, Lamar Kimball, another guy who got hurt, who before he did, I, I was really impressed with him. I did see him play a game. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, they do have some talented pieces. And Phil Martelli, again, very good coach. I could see why they're going to be good. Um, you know, losing Newkirk and lo- losing James Demery, 
I'm not sure I would quite put them at the level as a Davidson or a St. Louis at this point. But, I mean, I could definitely see the excitement um, around that team. And outside of Villanova, I do think they'll be at least the best, um, you know, Philadelphia City Six team. Yeah, I'm like trying to go through my head and think of the other. I mean, I think Temple Philly would ones. be the only other um, to contend, yeah. and I don't think they're all that great. Um, they're actually they're yeah. going to be interesting because this will be uh, Fran Dunphy's last season. Isn't this is a yeah? I was going to say, didn't they pick a his successor already yeah. or whatever? Yeah, they did. Um, so I mean, I'll be interested to watch them, but I, I do like the pieces that St. Joe's has. One one thing I do like, they're bringing in Troy Holston Jr. out of South Florida, um, 2016-17, playing for the Bulls, averaged 9.7 a game in the American Athletic Conference. He's a guard from Queens that should be a nice addition for them as well. He will be eligible and I believe have two years of eligibility remaining. What are your thoughts um... – on VCU because they're a team um, took a little bit of a step back last year after uh, Will Wade left for LSU. Uh, they brought in Mike Rhodes from Rice and they, they were another team. I think that had a little bit of um, some injury trouble at times, but they never really were able to quite put it together. And yeah, they lose a really good player in Justin Tillman. And I just, I'm just not, completely sold on their roster they've got a couple guys that i think are you know kind of interesting i, I kind of like but i'm not sure if i completely you know think they're quite at the level of you know a davidson st louis or a st yeah I, I i'm with you on that i i don't think they're going to be a bad team by any stretch but i don't think they're in that top tier they're probably in that tier behind them maybe looking like an nit team i think losing tillman and jonathan williams hurts a lot obviously um, but I really do like Malik Crowfield. I really do like Isaac Van. So those are, you know, a, a couple of solid players that they have coming back, and they'll have them hopefully for two more years. So, and I think they do have a good class coming in as well. So I, I think Mike Rhodes, Mike Rhodes can succeed where he is at VCU, but I don't think this is the year that they're going to do it quite yet. Gotcha. Um, Kyle, I know you dropped off for a minute, but you're back on. Uh, do you have a, a preference for who you think is the Atlanta 10 favorite? Um, I'm in the camp for St. Louis. Russ is um, on Davidson's side, and we both think that St. Joseph's also is going to be pretty good. Um, who are you looking at as being the A-10 favorite right now? Um, I'm also with you with uh, St. Louis. Um, I think that this is going to be the year that they finally break through. Um, I think we we thought that they were going to do that last season, but things didn't quite work out. Um, but I think that they're ready this year. Um, just glancing at their roster, they got a bunch of new transfers in, which will be nice. Um, they've scheduled really aggressively so far. Um, and I think that they're going to be the team that breaks out in the Atlantic 10. Um, if, if we're talking like future picks, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the George Mason uh, team in Ooh. about two years. Um, they they're really young right now, 
Um, they didn't lose a lot of players from last year. Um, and who knows? Uh, they were slightly under 500, and hopefully they could continue to trend upward um, as this core of sophomores and freshmen really mesh together. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think George Mason <laughs> and George Washington are, are in the same boat in that regard. I think they're both going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of years. Uh, well, one other thing I did want to say about VCU, um, they've got a guy coming in uh, named PJ Bird, who's a, a point guard that I think they are very excited about. I uh, did a little research on them on uh, VCU a few weeks ago, and he's somebody who I think uh, the staff is really happy with so far and someone who is going to be able to come in and make an immediate impact. Uh, and then Vincent Williams is probably their most highly touted uh, player. I think some services had him as a four-star recruit. Uh, he's a forward, so you know VCU also getting some impact freshmen. It won't be enough, I think, to replace you know, guys like Tillman uh, and Williams who are departing, but I think it will be enough to at least keep them competitive. How far does Rhode Island fall? It's going to be a rough year for them. Uh, You're not, you don't have faith in fats. (laughs) Oh, I love, I love fats. Uh, Maybe not as much as you do, but I, I I love them. They're just (laughs) losing so much and their head coach. Um, that yeah. I, I think, honestly, if you want to be fair to Dave Cox, given what Dan Hurley built, if you want to see Rhode Island even get close to back to being at that level, give him two full seasons of slack first. Uh, let him, yeah, let him recruit, let him develop the players that he has. And in the meantime, any success that you have is gravy. Um the program's really going to take a step back, but they're in a conference, the Atlantic 10, uh, that really values basketball and the program and the effort that it made to keep Dan Hurley on campus showed that they are committed um, to their basketball program. Um, You know, in in regards to facilities, they have the fan support. And I think that's going to go a long way uh, when Dave Cox tries to recruit the Northeast. Um, you know, they're not going to recruit at the level of, say, Providence or UConn or even Boston College in the ACC. Um, but I do think that they could bring in some pretty talented players, you know, for the Atlantic 10. He's a Hurley guy, right? Yes. He's yes, an he assistant. And, and he had Hurley's endorsement for the job once Hurley left. All right, do we want to talk about uh, some breakout teams? Oh, yeah. All right, so we, sure. we wanted to kind of go around the round table here and each talk about a team that maybe is flying a little under the radar that we think could have a big year next year. And Chris, why don't you start? Because you're having, because you, you picked a, a team that we had never really <laughs> talked about until this year um, because we've never really had a reason to. And then all of a sudden we see their name in the news like every other week pulling in another big name. Yeah, so my breakout team is going to be South Alabama. Um, they got a brand new head coach in Richie Riley, who's coming from uh, Nichols State, one of the youngest coaches in the country. I, I think he might have been the youngest at one point, but I don't think that's the case anymore. Um, but anyway, spent two years at Nichols State. 
he is becoming the Eric Musselman of the South because he <laughs> is cleaning up on the transfer market, both in terms of quality and quantity. Um, just this offseason, he, br- he brought in uh, Corey Holden, who was from South Carolina and previously Delaware, where he averaged about 18 points a game. Uh, Tashome Riley's another guy he brought in, a uh, double-figure scorer last time he played. And then he's got a couple other guys um, that are sitting out next year, I believe. Um, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but Don Coleman from Cal and Andre Fox from High Point. Um, both talented players. Fox is a really talented scorer. And uh, lost in all the, the talk about their the transfers that they're bringing in is they are bringing back uh, some decent talent from um, South Alabama's team last year. Uh, they were kind of middle of the pack in the Sun Belt. I believe they finished under 500. Um, let me pull up their conference record. Yeah, they're 7-11 in, in a, a Sun Belt conference that's a good, not a great mid-major conference. Um, they bring back their leading scorer in Roderick Sykes, just under 20 a game. Uh, Josh Ajayi was a, a double-figure scorer, and then um, Herb McGee and Trey Kelly are both juniors that – got a lot of playing time for him last year. Um, so I, I think he's going to do really well there. He plays a fun style. It's up-tempo, and I think uh, just seeing what he's done on the, the recruiting trail thus far, he's shown that it, it's going to be a a program that I think a lot of guys are going to want to play for, and I think he's going to do really well with you know the transfer model there. Is South Alabama the team to beat in the Sun Belt now? Nah, <laughs> Georgia State still has Demarcus Simons. Yeah, um, oh, I love Georgia State, and I think Louisiana Lafayette's going to be solid again too. But South Alabama will be there. I I am confident in, in them. Yeah, you you know Louisiana is going to be solid because uh, LSU still won't schedule them. Will Wade sucks. <laughs> what what an embarrassment that press conference was yeah after that nit game if uh if you're listening and you don't know what we're talking about just search uh will wade press conference uh louisiana nit we covered it on our site you could find it there um but lsu's non-conference schedule came out and oh look at that they're not playing louisiana scared i think i think so um all right, we'll go to my team now. Um, I chose a team that I think we had high hopes for last year. Didn't quite live up to it. They were dealing with um, some pretty big losses from the year before. That's Illinois State. Uh, still managed to go 18 and 15. Still went 10 and 8 in the Missouri Valley. Still went to the Arch Madness final where they lost to Loyola of Chicago. Um they return pretty much everybody next year. And, you know, that that's good enough as it is. But when you factor in that the guys that they return are also three of the best players in the conference, not the three best, but three of the best, uh, in Phil Fane, Malik Yarbrough, and Keyshawn Evans, uh, this is going to be a really, really good team that Dan Muller has. They're going to be experienced. Um, they're a team that finished the year really strong. And quite honestly, looking at the rest of the Valley, you know, yeah, Loyola Chicago is going to be really good, obviously. 
uh, coming off of that Final Four. I think Valparaiso is going to be a little bit better than they were last year, but I think there is room for a team like Illinois State to really, um, really be a factor. And, it, you know, if, if you're not familiar with these guys, maybe you didn't see them uh, play a lot last year. They weren't on TV a whole lot. Um, you're really going to like watching Keyshawn Evans. He's going to be a senior, a little six-foot guy, shoots 42% uh, from three. Phil Fain, a, a, a 6'9 forward, 60% shooter from the floor. And then uh, then there's Yarbrough, who one of the um, – best assist men in the country, fourth in the nation in assist rate last year. Uh, one of the most important players to any one team in the Missouri Valley. Um, you know, they, it, it all starts with those three, but they had one senior on the roster last year who played in nine games and that is it. Um, so this is going to be a team that brings back almost everybody. They did lose one transfer in, uh, Darua Njai, uh, if I didn't say that right, I apologize, uh, who was a seven footer. So I guess that kind of sucks losing him. Um, but they're going to be they're going to be a whole lot of fun. And, you know, that Dan Muller doesn't shy away from playing anybody in the non-conference. So we'll get our chances to see them early against good teams. Yeah. I, um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's who I'm looking forward to. I've got there. Can we uh, quickly rave about their uh, their yeah. non-conference so far? Because well, I was just about good. to bring that up. I've got it <laughs> pulled up. Um, the one game I'm looking forward to is going to be November 19th. Um, and the Grand Caymans, they're playing the Georgia Bulldogs and the Fighting Tom Crane. So I will be oh, watching yeah. that one closely. <laughs> and they've also do you have their full schedule up? Um, I do, yeah. yeah. I can't find it on their schedule. Um, so uh so far they have a home they have a home and home with Ball State and I think that's the like the worst game on the schedule. Uh no but offense to Ball, Ball State. Solid. They're they'll be a, a top three team in the MAC, I think. Um but the rest of them, they host BYU at home, they host San Diego State and Ole Miss. Um they travel to Arkansas, Illinois, and Xavier uh for the rest of their away schedule. And they have the rest of the Cayman Islands classic too. Um depending on how that Georgia game shakes up, they either play a pretty solid Akron team or they play Clemson who made the tournament last year. Um, so yeah, that's, that's five postseason teams, uh, four NCAAs and one NIT, which is really good for a mid-major non-conference schedule. Yeah. With that kind of schedule, I think we could say like by December, they're either going to be like a top five team in our rankings, or we're going to be calling them a huge disappointment. Like there, there's no in between. And then they'll get, <laughs> and then, yeah, they'll, then run they'll run through, through the valley. They'll start ten and exactly. one in the Missouri Valley. <laughs> Illinois State being Missouri Valley champs is a take I've kind of been sitting on all summer. I'm, I think that's going to be one I unleash before this season. I know there's a lot of hype around Loyola again, which rightfully so they're going to be really good. But I think I think Illinois State's going to get it this year. It could. That would be a. That would be a. A uh, responsible hot take to have. It's not too hot, but it's like mildly spicy. So, All right, Kyle, what about your team? Um, speaking of 
moderate takes. Um, my breakout team is the New Mexico Lobos. Um, I feel like it's it's kind of a cop out to call a team that won 19 games and made the Mountain West Conference championship game a breakout team. Um, but honestly, like last year, they really overperformed. Um, and even though they lose quite a bit from last year's team, they had three seniors and then Troy Simmons transferred um, to Kent State, I think. And then Ja'Kai Simmons transferred as well. Both of those guys are juniors. Um, they bring in a ton of very intriguing transfers. Um, just to go down the line here, they have Jaquan Lyle, uh, former 4.5 to 5-star recruit out of Ohio State at the point. Um, then they have Zane Martin from UConn. Uh, no, Vance um, Jackson from UConn. Oh, Vance Jackson, my bad. Um, Zane Martin from Towson, who is not eligible this year, uh, but he will be next year. And then probably the most intriguing of all is Carlton Bragg um, from Ooh. Kansas via or from Arizona State via Kansas, um, former five star recruit, twenty first and is in the class of 20, uh, 2015. hasn't really gotten a chance to shine, um, but he's athletic as hell, and I think that him in the right situation, um, just beating up on some of the Mountain West teams, is going to be really fun to watch. Um, so yeah, I mean I. I th- this might be taking it a step too far when it comes to my very milk toast take, um, but perhaps they could sneak their way into the NCAA tournament. Who knows? Um, if if the Mountain West has multiple bids, I'm going to count on New Mexico being one of them. Um, Nevada, of course, being the other, and maybe San Diego State. Yeah, I think the thing that helps yeah. New Mexico is that Nevada is going to be so good. San Diego State is going to be really good, and there are a bunch of other maybe mediocre teams in there. The Mountain West won't be a terrible conference next year. I think it's possible that they could sneak in. Uh, do you have any idea what kind of schedule they play or if they've even released it yet? Um, I don't think they've released it yet. Um, the only games that I know of so far is they play versus St. Mary's in the Basketball Hall of Fame Classic in Los Angeles. Um, I know St. Mary's is going through a down year, but beating them on a neutral would be good for them. Um, and then they play Bradley in the Mountain West Missouri Valley Challenge, um, which I wrote about earlier this summer. I think that'll be one of the uh, one of the better games in that series. Um, but yeah, I don't think they've released it yet. Jaquan Lyle, I I remember watching him on an AAU team with um, Trey Lyles and Trayvon Blewett and James Blackman, and I I thought he was the best out of any of those guys, but. He was one of those kids that, you know, never really had the right situation. I think he had switched high schools a couple times, and then obviously it didn't work out at Ohio State, but he's obviously really, really talented. He's not a scrub either. Um, no. Even his loan, like his two seasons in Ohio State, I'm looking right now, he, he averaged like 11 points a game, and then he upped his three-point shooting percentage from 25% in his first year to 40% on a kind of, you know, a backup role, but still I think New Mexico is going to be really fun. All right. I I think, I think it's time, Kyle, that you lead us through a nuanced and incredibly reasonable discussion about maybe two of maybe two top five teams in the country next year in Gonzaga and Nevada. So um, just a heads up, 
for any of you guys reading the site, you might be sick of hearing a lot about these two teams. Um, but honestly, like, please put that, please put all your reservations by the door. Even if you are a St. Mary's fan, if you are a UNLV fan, because these two teams are going to be very fun. Um, I think last year they were definitely like, of course, one, two in our mid-major madness poll for most of the year. Um, and this year is going to be no different. Um, Gonzaga, although they lose Jonathan Williams, just a, just a little primer for those who um, aren't as up to speed um, on these two teams. Uh, they, Gonzaga loses Jonathan Williams. They lose Silas Nelson, um, but they gain uh, quite a bit here. They, um, they struck in the transfer market again um, and filled the one spot on their roster that they needed to fill by signing Gino Crandall of uh, North Dakota. Um, I think Ken Palm had a tweet, um, like the Ken Pomeroy tweeted out that um, that Gonzaga signed the one guy that spearheaded a like ridiculous comeback against the Bulldogs when they played each other last season. Um, so I guess if you can't beat him, join him. But he the will Doc, the Doc Rivers method. <laughs> oh yeah, he will. Um, he'll be playing alongside Josh Perkins, uh, who has been in college since about two thousand six. Um, and then they have some very promising young guards in Zach Norvell Jr., who made the all WCC freshman team last year. Um, and then they have JJ Ajayi, uh, who redshirted from France. Uh, he did the classic Gonzaga redshirt one year, and he's going to probably take us all by surprise. Um, and of course, the two elephants in the room I'm leaving out to round out the roster we've got Killian Tilly and Rui Hachimura. Um, two definitely uh, NBA level prospects. Um, Rui's been tearing it up in uh, is it the FIBA um, tournaments yes, this sir. year or this summer? Um, so I think this is going to be the year of Rui. Um, he's gonna he's gonna break out and you know finally catch the national media's attention that he rightfully deserves um, if he hasn't done so already. And then of course uh, the other team we're gonna take a look at is Nevada uh, transfer U brought back almost everyone from last season's uh, Sweet 16 team. Um, they got the Martin Twins. They got Jordan Caroline. Um, have a ton of transfers, of course. Um, the one I'm most excited about is uh, Jazz Johnson from Portland. Um, I remember watching him at the WCC tournament two years ago um, during his freshman season at Portland. And he was a really good player trapped on a really bad team. Um, he's going to be an awesome point guard off the bench um of course with Lindsay drew back um he's kind of got the point guard spot locked down but other than that they've got trey porter from old dominion they got ziri susa from um i think it's wagner uh, bryant i believe bryant. bryant yeah and then they have hold on sorry i should have trishan thurman's the other big one i believe yes i think he's from nebraska omaha oh and um of course, this is just a testament to how loaded they are. But they have five-star recruit Jordan Brown. Um, yeah, is he even see the floor? <laughs> I have. It I is have embarrassing no how stacked um, these two teams are. Like, I don't know if people realize they, it right now. Like these, are they down to thirteen yet? Yes, they are. Okay. Because um, I think Josh Hall transferred to Missouri State. Yeah, and then the other uh, Corey Henson, I think the one from Wagner. Does that sound right? Or um, shoot, he transferred to Oregon. I think the so whoever 
one of the transfers that dropped out went to Oregon. Yeah. But yeah, um, with all of that said, sorry for the roundabout explanation there, but um, which one of these two teams do either of you find gentlemen think will um, either start off the year atop our standings um, and who's going to finish atop our mid-major madness power rankings? You know, at the end of last season, I was all in on Nevada being number one. And I mean, with good reason, they still might be. They could be a national championship team. And then Gonzaga went out and added Crandall. And now they are just as stacked as Nevada is. And I mean, these are two, these were two second weekend NCAA tournament teams last year. Like you do not see this at the mid-major level, what they are both bringing back. I was a little concerned about Gonzaga losing Jonathan Williams and Silas Melson. Um, but when you look at what they're bringing back in Hachimura and Tilly and everybody else, I think that way overshadows um, what they lose. And Kyle, I think you had a good point about Hachimura getting his FIBA experience in the summer. When you see guys go overseas to play in, you know, these international tournaments, or if you see them get invited to an elite camp, like those experiences tend to really help a player make a leap from one year to the next. So I'm very excited to see what Hachimura brings to the table next year. Um, I realize I didn't actually answer your question. Um, I'm going to stay with Nevada, I think, um, mainly because Jordan Caroline plus the Martin twins plus a hundred transfers. Like people forget how good like Trey Porter is coming in from old dominion uh, average 13 and six in a good conference USA. Like this team is just stacked beyond belief. um, And I just can't wait to see them play. Um, And also I think they're going to be in a conference that is going to test them more throughout the season uh, than the WCC. Well, Gonzaga, um, so I'm going to go with Nevada, but it's very, very close. I think another guy that a lot of people are forgetting, um, myself included, when we talk about Gonzaga's front line is they'll have Brandon Clark in the mix too, um, a transfer from, I believe, San Jose State, who is really, really good for them. And he's going to be fighting with Tilly and uh, – really for minutes he averaged uh 17 points about nine rebounds and two and a half blocks uh, during his sophomore season at san jose state so very very talented player in a uh, crowded front court i guess to uh to answer my own question um i'm also gonna side with gonzaga um i mean sorry nevada i'm gonna side with nevada for um the the team that's gonna probably lead our lead our mid-major madness poll from wire to wire. Um, Gonzaga obviously is stacked. They're loaded. They've got a tough non-conference schedule, or they will, uh, just because that's how Mark Few generally has been over the past few years. Um, but well, as, as I look at this roster, they're still very young, which is scary for the WCC. Like Most of their guys are going to be sophomores and juniors. Um so if not this year, next year, they're going to be the team to beat um, in all of the mid-major ranks. Um, but I'm still going to stick with Nevada because um, like they've, I mean, it's, <laughs> we, we could harp, I could harp on their 
their depth for so long. Um, but this team's going to have a ton of weapons that'll throw at teams. Um, I I kind of had this thought bouncing around in my head that maybe their bench could be the fourth best team in the Mountain West, um, <laughs> just with how deep they are. Um, and but well, but with that, all of that said, my only concern with this Nevada team is just how you know it, it's great to have all these transfers, um, and it's it's great to say that you have all of these very productive guys coming into your program, but you know the the numbers are going to drop for most of these guys. Um, there was that really lame Lakers meme that went around about like projected uh, (laughs) 0.3 bounds and assists per game for their starting five. Um, And I kind of, and I think we, uh, we riffed on it a bit on our account too. Um, But there's only 200 minutes in this game and several of these players really need the ball all the time in order to get that kind of production. So the numbers are going to dip for most of these guys. Um, and my only concern is how they're going to mesh throughout the season. Um, you know, how long is it going to take for them to find their footing? Um, will, will they drop a few non-conference games and will people fall, you know, start to fall off the bandwagon and say like, Oh, well, you know, this, this whole experiment might not work. Um, so that's, that's my only concern. Um, cause I know like Mark Fuse guys like that Gonzaga team with the exception of, you know, Brandon Clark and Gino Crandall, like those, those guys have played together for multiple years. Um, so they have that on the court chemistry and all that. Um, and I, I mean, the pessimist in me is just bracing for Nevada to get bounced in the second round of the tournament, um, against like a seven seed, you know, Ohio state team. God, but, uh, I feel like I feel like it's going to be that, or it's going to be the Final Four. Like, there's going to be no no in between for this team. Oh man! Oh my! God. I, I'm sorry, I even mentioned yeah. that. we would never hear from Chris again. He would just disappear. He would walk into the ocean. I think that I have probably written about Nevada more than I've written about anything else this off season. Like, I am firmly in the driver's seat of this very very large bandwagon so i think it'd be foolish of me to switch my allegiance to gonzaga but i've I've considered writing a column titled nevada should be ranked number one overall in the country but i do it do I it i i can't quite like figure out like my angle i'll, I'll try to get around to it we uh, would absolutely get those clicks you open up the article and it's just shirtless Eric Musselman. Yes, shirtless, oh, yeah. shirtless must. I mean, that's a big factor in this too. Yeah. What? So, d- does he seem like he's pretty committed to building Nevada up, and he's not going to bounce unless it's a really clear step up? God, I hope so. Same. I hope so. <laughs> Because they're kind of getting to the point where they're, I mean, he's got a better gig than, you know, 50% of the power fives. Like, he's not going to take it for a crappy, like, Pac-12 job. Like, you saw him, he was in the running for, was it Cal? Yeah. Plus yeah, the, it was, didn't he go for an interview? Yeah. So, it, it might have worked, like, been the case where they decided to go another way. But just the fact that he was, you know, in consideration. Um Yeah. I, I love him. I, he's my favorite mid-major coach in the country. I think he's doing an amazing job there. Yeah, we've got to get him on the podcast. I'm 
if anything, I'm afraid about the UCLA job opening up. But that really, that would be the one to yeah, watch. Yeah, uh, I bet that opens up this year too. I I guess well, one more thing before we get to uh, trivia time, and Kyle, I don't even know if you could talk about this or not, but I'll put you on the spot and maybe I'll just cut it out. Um, in the West Coast Conference, I think Gonzaga is. I mean, Gonzaga is definitely number one. I think. BYU is definitively the second best team. Is San Francisco number three? I'm going to go ahead and say San Diego might be number three too. San Diego is going to be good too. Um, I feel like it's between them and San Francisco. Um, but San Francisco, I mean, in my opinion, they've they've had two great years under Kyle Smith so far. Um, both 20 plus win seasons. Um, he's brought in a lot of guys. He's really installed a system of really using his bench. Um, like you look at San Francisco and they, they throw a ton of guys at you. Um, so many different lineup combinations to plan for, which has really given some of the West coast conference schools a headache. Um, but I, I, I trust San Diego's defense. Um, they return probably one of the better backcourts in the West coast, um, with Olin Carter and Isaiah, Wright, Um, then Isaiah Pinheiro at the three. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I feel like I would trust that more than Kyle Smith throwing a bunch of players at people and seeing what sticks. Um, I think they've had, they've had two straight CBI um, or like CIT appearances so far, and I feel like I'm waiting for them to take the next step, but I'm, I'm going to hold out a little bit. Then I, I think it's time for, uh, for trivia. Why don't we play the... Uh... Chris's trivia theme music and today's trivia question is focused around a topic that we actually just got done discussing. Um, I think we're all expecting Gonzaga and Nevada to start the the season ranked in the top 10 nationally. Um, When was the last time there were two teams from mid major conferences, um, in the top 10 of the preseason AP poll. It's more recent than I thought it was going to be. Okay. Hmm. Um, was it 2013? No. After. Was it really? 20- Cause I, I was thinking Wichita state and Gonzaga is the two teams. Those are the two teams. Uh, can you get uh-huh. the year? Uh, 2016. Yep, 2015-16. Before that, you would have had to go all the way back to uh, 1996-97. Don't don't say it, don't say it. Uh, Was it UMass was one of them? Nope, that was... No? Year year before that was... Year before that, they went to the Final Four, right? Was it UNLV? No. 96-97, all right. This team started number one in the country that year. Number one in the country? Uh, Utah. No, Utah was one of them. They started the season six that year. It's when they were in the whack. Right. Um, oh, let me pull up who was on this. I don't even know who was on this team. Uh, yeah, Utah went to the final four in 98. Right. This is 96-97? Yep, 96-97. Temple? Nope. New Mexico? No. They're not technically a mid-major anymore. Oh, okay. 
anymore. So, mm. oh, so Cincinnati. Yep. Cincinnati started the year number one overall with. Wow. Who was on that team? Bob Huggins was the coach. It was Danny Fortson, uh, Darnell Burton, and Ruben Patterson were the three leading scorers. And okay. freshman Kenyon Martin. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. And then the year before that, like you said, UMass and Utah were both in the top 10 to start the year. So, got it. Doesn't happen too often. It'll probably happen this year, which is exciting. Can we, uh, can we briefly mention that Virginia is playing probably two of our favorite mid major programs so far in uh, Middle Tennessee and Marshall? <laughs> so. That Marshall game is going to be so much fun. I cannot wait for that. Also, Marshall is going to win that game. I can't wait for John Elmore to like pull up right in front of uh, yeah. the Virginia bench. He's going to give Kyle a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> God, I want to see John Elmore drop 40 and take his pants off at the end of the game. And Dan D'Antonio just strutting around in like his sport yeah. coat and his t-shirt just make him look Tony Bennett yeah. look like a dweeb. That is that is a fit right there. <laughs> that I wish I could pull off someday. It's so on brand. The like the graphic T and the uh... <laughs> Kyle, that's what I feel like you would wear to like the mid major madness meetup. I I mean my go to when I go to games is like a graphic T and a cardigan. You know, just rolling up like your, you know, tenth grade English teacher. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Hey. Over Shakespeare. Yeah, I uh, I remember showing up to a, to a Fullerton game with a with a Speed Racer shirt underneath my cardigan, feeling like a real like true professional. But <laughs> we uh w- we won't do that again. So <laughs> <laughs> for any SIDs that are listening to this, we promise we will dress appropriately at your games if you let us come to them. Please. And if you don't let us come to them, we absolutely understand that. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Bid Major Madness podcast. I promise it won't be like four or five months until we do the next one. For Chris Schutte and Kyle Cajero, I am Russ Steinberg. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you next time.